Today on the Daily Scoop podcast from the Scoop News Group, the wild card in the government's cyber and IT transformation effort. Congress has an incredibly important role to play here, and it's and it can't be episodic. In order for this multi-year effort to succeed, that funding needs to be, as Eric said, consistent and sustained. And what do the Army's cutting-edge weapon systems all have in common? All of them have an element of artificial intelligence built into them for that decision-making capability. It is not, a, it is not an afterthought, it's not, it's not a bolt-on, right? AI is integrated into how we're building these new platforms of the future. It's Tuesday, May 31st, 2022. Welcome to the Daily Scoop podcast. Every afternoon, you'll learn what's going on today in government. I'm the host of the Daily Scoop podcast, Francis Rose. Here's what's happening now. A new data system in the cloud is up and running at the Centers for Disease Control and Prevention. Deputy Director for Public Health Science and Surveillance Dan Jernigan says the Enterprise Data Analytics and Visualization Platform lets CDC scientists catalog, analyze, and publish findings faster. Jernigan says funding will be important to broader accessibility to data across the center. Cyber and information operations will be top priorities for the nominee to become NATO's supreme allied commander if the Senate confirms him. General Christopher Cavoli tells the Senate Armed Services Committee he believes NATO's cyber defense capability is improving. NATO's launched its Cyberspace Operations Center and a Computer Incident Response Capability Center in recent years. You can read more about these headlines and lots of other news at fedscoop.com. The Cybersecurity and Infrastructure Security Agency will drive a four-pronged agenda to achieve what it calls a new approach to federal government cybersecurity. The Executive Assistant Director for Cybersecurity at CISA, Eric Goldstein, laid out the agenda for a House Homeland Security Subcommittee right after the one-year anniversary of the Cyber Executive Order. Suzanne Spaulding is Senior Advisor for Homeland Security at the Center for Strategic and International Studies. She's former Undersecretary for the National Protection and Programs Directorate at DHS, now CISA. She was a member of the Cyberspace Solarium Commission. Suzanne, welcome. Thanks for coming on the program. Before we dig into what Eric said at this hearing, one year out plus a couple of weeks from the Cyber Executive Order, do you have a sense that we're in good shape across the federal government, or are we still kind of struggling to get going? Welcome. Thank you, Francis. Great to be back with you. Um, well, you know, what is the trite expression? We're sort of at the at the end of the beginning, maybe. Um, <laughs> I don't know that that we're still struggling to get going, but we still have a long way to go. What do you see as the primary uh, obstacles to overcome to achieve that? Or maybe we just take these obstacles and kind of formulate them into what Eric was talking about at this hearing. They have four steps. Can you boil down what the potential obstacles are to a, a tick list, Suzanne? Well, first of all, uh, the the task ahead is so massive. Uh, so uh, it's just inevitably going to take years. And that is a challenge in and of itself, right, To to have to sustain the support from Congress, to have the kind of consistent and sustained funding levels that it's going to take to move the federal government from its old legacy systems and frankly, uh, now outdated culture of security around, you know, focused on perimeters to, to where we need to be. And so it's gonna require patience, which is something that Congress particularly is not particularly good at when it's doing its oversight. It's plenty patient when we're trying to get it to pass legislation. Uh, but it's not so great at that in oversight. Um, and it's and and it's going to take this sustained commitment 
and, and a tolerance for disruption. And those are all really hard things. The four items that Eric t- testified about at this uh, hearing. First one, CISA must continue to gain visibility across civilian executive branch agencies. CISA has been around for a couple of years now in its current incarnation. And then we add on the time that it was NPPD when you ran it and, and so on. What's your concern, if any, about the visibility that CISA has across the executive branch now? Yeah, so, you know, we, again, this has been a multi-year effort to gain visibility. And the visibility started with, let's just have visibility into what devices are on our network, right? And that turned out to be an eye-opening exercise many years ago. Um, I think the, the challenge now, and it's a much more complicated challenge, of course, is visibility into what is actually happening in the network. Who's on it? What are they doing? You know, what's happening on the network? And that's a, a very complex um, challenge. But again, I think they're, the, the private sector has helped by developing a lot of technologies out there. CISA is, uh, and, and NPPD prior to that, you know, really smart about not now about not trying to reinvent those things, but to provide a way to make those kinds of technologies that are out there for endpoint detection, for example, um, to other ways of implementing zero trust architectures available to the departments and agencies, at, uh, usually at discounted prices. Um, so I think that's the challenge today. And but but there is a path forward. That second, uh, or that item you just mentioned ties into the second thing that Eric listed. We must expand our provision of shared services to executive branch agencies. He wrote a number that I hadn't seen in a long time, 101 agencies in the executive branch. And wow, those organizations are each trying to obtain those uh, services that you just talked about in their own way. And for some organizations, especially the smaller ones, you know, the CFO Act agencies have their own ways of getting things that they need. Some of these smaller agencies struggle with that. Uh, not that they can't do it, but just uh, can't do it on scale. And it strikes me that the shared service concept that, that with CISA as the QSMO for, uh, for the things that they're doing is really going to be a valuable weapon in the arsenal, especially for those smaller agencies. Yes, Francis, you're, you're exactly right. And the, you know, the challenge with, always with the implementation of CDM, the continuous diagnostics and mitigation. Um, and then, you know, as it's expanded to, to greater and greater levels of, of visibility into what's happening on the network is, is both uh, is sometimes with agencies want to, you know, being willing to, to take this on. Um, and that's not just a, uh, an irrational stubbornness. That's because they understand the challenges involved. It can be very difficult to bring out some of these technologies in and disruptive to the mission and the and the work that the CIO tries to you know keep going on a daily basis, um, and then there's there's often concerns about protecting taxpayer information, et cetera, things like that. So so those are really a big part of the challenge, and those apply to even the CFO agencies. But yes, there are so many tiny you know small uh, agencies that need help. So. To some degree, some of that is going to be CISO really performing the service on a daily basis, on an ongoing basis. Others will be CISA providing the hands-on help to do the implementation in the agency, which will then be 
sustained and, and managed by the agency or department. And both of those are going to be important. You're really good at this this radio interview thing, Suzanne, because that also segues into the third one, which is providing agencies with actionable guidance and hands-on support. And it strikes me that hands-on support is the most critical part of that. That's the point I was going to propose, which uh, basically is what you just said, if I hear you right. Yeah, I, I, I really do think that's going to be uh, an important part of moving forward. And one of the reasons, Francis, that it's important is that there just simply isn't enough cyber talent to go around, as you know, uh, as well as anybody. And and so, um, you know, having some of those capabilities consolidated at CISA, uh, you know, as services of common concern that, that can then go out and help a, a, an agency uh, take on the complex tax task of implementation. So, uh, yeah. The fourth point is CISA continuing to lead what he says, lead our national effort to drive adoption of modern security practices. That strikes me as just an affirmation of what the mission is of the organization in the first place. Is that a fair read on my part? I think that's right. You know, they, they talk, uh, Eric talked about in his testimony about incident response, um, uh, needing to improve that and publishing cyber incident response playbooks. Uh, all of that, I think, is part of it. So it's not just about, um, how, you know, how you're securing your your network and the and the notion of zero trust architecture, but it's also being prepared to respond when all of that, um, you know, fails in effect. Uh, and and there, I guess, the only thing I would say is I would like to see I, I, I see it, but I would like to see more of the emphasis on uh, making sure that your cyber response plans are putting enough effort and energy into mitigating real world consequences, not just what's happening in your network, but what's happening to the functions that network enables. And are there ways in which you can mitigate those consequences quickly to get back up and running? So I think that's an important thing. You know, on the on the zero trust architecture and the endpoint detection and response, I, I think there a key part of what CISA could help with is, is Prioritize is providing guidance to departments and agencies on how to prioritize. This goes back to this multi-year effort, uh, parts of which are going to disrupt the the work of the department or agency because you've got to you know transition huge data sets and you know transition legacy systems. Using how to use a risk-based approach to prioritizing what steps you're going to take first. Not everybody's going to do this in the same order. You know, focus on your mission needs. And think about some early wins because cultural buy-in is going to be important. So, so think about some of the things you could do that that the users across the department or agency will sense first, will see first, and will make them happy. <laughs> and um, and then and that then you can get maybe some better buy-in. Yeah. Um, you said something a moment ago that I think is fascinating. That is, you you talked about the importance of judging success on the ability to protect, not just protect the networks and not just make a list of the stuff that you did, but to ensure that the mission delivery is secure. That's really the crux of it, isn't it? That, and that's that. what I sense there, and maybe I'm reading too much into what you said, Suzanne, but what, what I sense there is that we're still, there's still a lot of work to do across government in moving from that compliance mindset to the desired outcome mindset. Is that, yeah. is that reasonable? 
I think that's exactly right. And, and it's, this is part of the lesson of, in DHS moving from the asset list uh, to national critical functions. It, it's really, at the end of the day, it's all about the functions that are being enabled by that network, by that system, by those assets. And, and that's what we care about. And so, and this is one of the reasons I think it's so important to not go so far that we remove accountability from the department heads, from the cabinet secretaries and the department, the heads of these agencies um, ultimately have to be responsible for, for the cybersecurity because they ultimately have to be responsible for mission and start with those mission essential functions. We all know what those are from continuity planning and make sure that you have lots of backup plans um, to, to continue to do those missions the American public count on us to do. All right. I want to go back to Eric's testimony for a second, because the four things that we talked about uh, that he listed as achieving CIS's vision for the future of federal civilian cybersecurity are all things, my take is that CISA has a role and a responsibility to be able to execute. He, the way he closed it, though, was something that strikes me that's beyond his control. And this is from his written testimony. The executive order catalyzed extraordinary action, but it's just a start. In order to get to where we need to be in terms of federal cybersecurity, we need sustained and coordinated investment in cybersecurity and IT modernization over time. The only thing that it seems to me that CISA has any potential authority over is maybe helping with the strategy for cybersecurity and IT modernization. It's going to be up to Congress to give agencies and the executive branch as a whole the money that it needs to do both of those things, isn't it, Suzanne? Yes, it is. It's, Congress has an incredibly important role to play here, and it's and it can't be episodic. In order for this multi-year effort to succeed, that funding needs to be, as Eric said, consistent and sustained over time. Suzanne, great conversation as always. Thanks very much for coming on the program today. Thanks for having me, Francis. Take care. You can read more about the hearing and Eric Goldstein's testimony in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. I'm Francis Rose, the host of the Daily Scoop podcast on Wednesday's show, the cutting edge of technology at the Department of Homeland Security. DHS's Chief Technology Officer David Laramore is on tomorrow's Daily Scoop podcast. It comes out tomorrow afternoon at fedscoop.com and wherever you get your shows. Computing at the edge is one of the most important capabilities the Defense Department says it needs from its joint all-domain command and control effort. The Army's piece of JADC2 is Project Convergence. Raj Iyer is the Chief Information Officer of the Army at the Emerging Technology and Innovation Conference last week. He says computing at the edge is happening now. Believe it or not, and I can't, I can't, names, I can't put any names out here, but there are industry folks working with our 82nd and our 18th Airborne today now in the field helping us with some deep analytics, some innovation, some new technology. Some of you are part of that effort. But for us to really scale innovation for the Army of 2030, that's got to be an organic capability. We have to make sure that our soldiers, our civilians are able to leverage these, are able to adopt and adapt technology at a scale and bring them to the fight organically. That doesn't mean that your role goes away. You're, you're going to teach us how to fish. You're going to teach us how to bring these new technologies in and keep us, keep us in the forefront of 
you know, continuously bringing in new, uh, new innovative technologies. So, so that is the path that we're on. Um, I, I, uh, what I want to do here is, uh, let's see, I think I have a couple of slides. So we talked about this, the digital capabilities, cloud, data, AI, all of that with cyber, absolutely critical. All of these great digital technologies, by the way, downside, can be jammed pretty easily by a sophisticated near-peer adversary. So if we don't put a cyber lens on it, and if cyber defense is not part of this from the get-go, we truly, I mean, we have these, all these, these great digital technologies, but we don't have anything that truly is capable of you know, meeting our warfighter requirements. So cyber, absolutely critical. We talked about the digital enablers, policy and process. Many of them were changing now as we speak. Whether it's how we do cybersecurity, how we do, how we're more agile in terms of you know bringing in new technologies, all of that is effort, is, is work that's well underway right now. So uh, some of the things that's going on right now, and I can just just pick a few here, right? So 5G, the innovation here is while we're waiting on leveraging 5G as a transformative technology for us in future, essentially that could become the backhaul for all our, our, our network in future. Right now, there's a number of efforts underway all the way from working with industry to bring in self, you know, 5G towers to our installations to help with MWR to experiments that we're doing with private 5G for a survivable command post to looking at 5G for virtual reality and augmented reality, right? So all of these are great innovations right now, but the long-term transformation for 5G truly is to give us, you know, the, maneuver, man, the maneuver, maneuverability we need on the network um, in, in, a, in a completely wireless way, and 5G can get us there. That's the long-term vision. Um, with data, I think, we're, like I said, we've, we've done some tremendous work today now, leveraging data, um, even for today's fight, building common operating pictures for the commander. But long-term with data really is the vision for CJAT-C2, and you knew that. It's the combined John All Domain Command and Control. And so the Army is making great progress with Project Convergence, our implementation of a new unified data fabric that's going to enable us to stitch together large volumes of data and some of the proprietary systems that we have today to enable us to, again, see ourselves better through a common operating picture. So, so that effort is underway in terms of uh, transformation on the data side. On AI, again, as we build our new modernized systems for the future, whether it's the future vertical lift, the next generation combat vehicle, the synthetic training environment, the unified network, all of them have an element of artificial intelligence built into them for that decision-making capability. It is, not a, it is not an afterthought, it's not, it's not a bolt-on, right? AI is integrated into how we're building these new platforms of the future. However, we're not waiting. We're already leveraging AI today to do a bunch of cool things from, from, an, from an innovative side. One is leveraging AI to look at you know, anomalous behavior on our networks from a cybersecurity perspective. Right? We, can, we can see who's coming in, what kinds of activity and behaviors there are, and is that normal for somebody coming in. And that is capability that exists today. We're able to do, at the low end of AI, robotic process automation today 
at some scale across the army today. And this is really automating a lot of mundane manual tasks that, that we have across the army. Um, User experience is another one, right? At the end of the day, we know that we're all gonna be working in a, in a hybrid remote work environment. The tools that we've put in place for the last 12 months with whether it's Army 365 or our efforts to move into bring your own device and virtual desktop, these are all things that are gonna truly change culture in the Army about getting us to be much more remote and then enabling us to tap into talent that may be not located within the building. And so this is all, again, I, I want to pause there and then I wanna, really want to take questions because every one of the things that we're working on today through our implementation plans, we have a near-term objective that we can, that we can say we're innovating, we're, we're hitting those marks, but then we have these long-term transformative efforts also underway at the same time that's big army global at scale. So with that, I'll pause and see uh, where the questions are. Yes. Hi, my question, I absolutely loved your first slide uh, talking about the difference uh, between innovation and transformation. I would love to know if you think that, or how intentional you are in building almost an infinity loop between those two things so that innovation is informing transformation and transformation might be shaping where you go with innovation. Yeah. Thank I'll you. Oh, perfect, right? And, and you absolutely need that because if you have this on this dual speed approach, innovation on one track, transformation on the other, and these two don't talk, then you get, we got a lot of problems. So, and I'll give you the, like I said, the most recent example is what we're doing in Europe right now. Although we had been experimenting with Starlink for several months, when we put that to use in Europe, we got real world data. We know what it meant to be jammed. <laughs> you all saw that. And we also knew how quickly we overcome that, right? So those are all lessons learned that go back directly you know, into how we're changing tactics and procedures, um, our material solutions as we build the unified network for the future, and how, you know, how we build that into the architecture and how we overcome some of that uh, from an EW perspective. So, so every one of the things that we're doing we have a we, we, we have a good we have good governance in place for the first time in the army I can tell you that we have all of the stakeholder organizations whether it's the 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 requirements developer combat developers the material developers or the acquisition community the CIO the chief data officer DOD CIO all of these equities army futures command we have them all fully aligned on the vision now. So it is so much easier for us to communicate, collaborate, share these lessons learned, and make instant changes to you know, initiatives and programs that are underway. And, uh, um, and, and we're starting to see that play out. Next question. Simone Manello, I work for Zscaler. Talking about embracing cloud and um, being more connected obviously is empowering at the tactical edge, um, but obviously we're hearing a lot more about appropriate uses of um, impact level six and disconnected. Can you talk about at your level like how you're doing the balancing act between what's appropriate for disconnected versus these public and like tech, you know, shut downable environments? Yeah, so that's a great question. Um, so when I first came on the job, you know, everybody said, sir, CIO's, really, CIO's job is really easy when you have to look at things on the enterprise. When you get into the tactical world, forget it. 
you know, you're going to struggle with it. And I really, you know, I said, hey, you know, we need to, we need to understand why we have that complexity. And um, and so it also meant that we had to look at how our BCTs were structured today with so much, you know, equipment in there that was very self-sustained, con self contained, and they were able to get their job done. And yet, when we have to fight in multi-domain, that you know, there is no artificial divide between tactical and strategic anymore, right? Because if you look at how the core and the division today are currently deployed, and if you look at how, you know, we have BCT supporting them, there is no, artif there is no artificial barrier anymore. And so, when it comes to working in disconnected operations, we have been disconnected in the path. That DDL, as it's called, is because of our inability to leverage commercial transport like we can today, right? We've always relied on MILSATCOM, which got us at best, what, maybe what, three megabits per second, if you're lucky, on a good day, right? And that's when the, you know, you don't have clouds going over you. <laughs> I'm, I'm, not, I'm not joking, that's serious. And, and, and so, yes, you're gonna be disconnected. Uh, and, and so, so, with commercial SATCOM with Leo and Mio, that is entirely changed now. And, and like I said, you know, with Starlink, I'm not saying that that's a silver bullet to everything, and please don't, don't assume that. Um, however, you know, the, 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 the ubiquitiness of, you know, Leo and Mio today and how much investment is happening in the private sector, in the commercial sector, you know, to get those satellites launched gives us a whole whole new way of doing things that we have not had in the past. And so every one of the discussions today on, in the tactical space, when people say DDL, I first ask the question, why? Is that because of a transport problem or something else, right? And, and so if you don't address that holistically between the storage and compute that you need at the tactical edge versus you know, the strategic, and then the networking requirement that you need, and, oh, by the way, if you haven't answered the question, what data you actually need for decision making at the tactical edge, then we haven't addressed the problem. And again, this is in the past where everybody said, hey, I want all the data all the time in this place. And, and we're saying, okay, that's not always the case. Let's, let's talk through this. So I think the, new, the newer technologies that are, are coming on and will continue to come on um, bring us tremendous potential to actually address the whole DDL question. Raj Iyer, the Chief Information Officer of the Army. You can read more about the Army's IT goals and strategies in today's show notes at thedailyscooppodcast.com. The Daily Scoop Podcast is available on all the podcast platforms. If you don't want to miss a show, you can subscribe and get the show every weekday on Apple Podcasts, Google Podcasts, or wherever else you get your shows, and on any device you get your shows. And if you really like the Daily Scoop Podcast, leave us a five-star rating and a review. It'll help more people find the show. The Daily Scoop Podcast is a production of the Scoop News Group in Washington, D.C. James Mahoney helped me put the show together, and the entire Scoop News Group team contributes. The Daily Scoop podcast returns tomorrow afternoon with David Larimore, the CTO at DHS. I'm Francis Rose. I'll talk to you then. Thanks for listening.